You're listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org. I want to start off by saying, first of all, it was, it was weird being introduced as like a guest speaker. It was weird and good. Weird and good. Uh, weird, obviously, because, you know, I've been here for almost eight years, been a disciple for a little more than seven years. And so to, to be called a guest just kind of feels odd. Um, but it's also, I think, a good thing because it, it is an artifact of us, you know, moving from one central congregation to splitting up into East and West, as, as many of us know. And uh, I think it is just a testament to how we've grown, not only spiritually, individually, but also numerically, that we can have a split service and reach out to more communities. So I think it's awesome. But um, it also just feels weird being called a guest out here. Um, as Steve said, we are moving to a new building. And I, I, I asked him as we were walking before today's service, I was like, are you excited? And I won't go into, into his answer. I'll, I'll let you ask him if you want. Um, but I, I felt excited uh, because I think about, you know, the, the building that we were in before this building, and I had so many memories back there. And then, you know, we move here. And um, I feel like I've, I've built so many more memories in this building, you know? And thinking about, reminiscing about all the things that have happened in this building, all the countless campus devos, all the baptisms that we saw, all the great lessons, times of communion, communion here. And I'm excited because we get to go do that in a new building. I'm also excited because I think it gets cold down here and I don't know if I always want to be down here, right? Hopefully that other building has some heat. But I am excited and on this uh, notion of being able to build things, I think this is a great opportunity. I'm not huge into like fresh starts. Like if I was to move somewhere, my mind always says, well, you're the same person, right? Like you're just going to be in a different location. It's not really a fresh start. But I like to ride the wave sometimes, you know, and I think it is kind of like a fresh start. We're getting into a new building. It'll be a new experience. And then I'm hoping that we can ride the wave and build many great things together for God in that new building. So I do want to preface by saying I am getting over a, uh, a sickness. I, I, I had a, like a sore throat. Um, I, I think it got over like Friday, but I had it for a few days. So. Not coronavirus, not coronavirus, I promise, I promise. Um, so if my voice starts to give out, that's why, please bear with me. Um, <clears throat> if you could, please turn over to Nehemiah chapter one. That's where I'm gonna start reading. But before I get into that, um, I want to kind of preface today's lesson by talking about kind of what spurred me on into wanting to talk about this. Uh, many of you know, not too long ago, uh, Kobe Bryant died. Um, a huge figure, not only in basketball, but all the great things that he did for the many communities that he was a part of. Um, and after his death, he, he was my favorite basketball player. After his death, you know, I, I don't know if this was rational or not, but I was like, man, his books are probably going to be really expensive. I should buy one right now because I've heard so much about Kobe Bryant through interviews or what other people or other players have said, but I want to hear it from himself. He wrote an autobiography, so um, soon after his death, I, was, I, I wanted to purchase that and, and read it. And um, so I read his autobiography. If you haven't read it, um, you know, I would encourage you to read it. I think it's really good. If you want to learn how to work really hard and be crazy and you know, accomplish great things, he's certainly the guy that you would go to, right? Um, but there's one thing that really stuck out to me in his book, and um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase what he said, but he was talking about his early years in the NBA and how 
he was kind of coveted coming out of high school, but he wasn't like a number one overall pick. He wasn't you know, expected just to take over the league from day one. He wasn't one of those guys. Um, and so when he would meet like uh, old, old heads, great NBA players, you know, it wasn't as if he was greeted um, as if he was just going to become one of them, right? They're kind of like, oh, he's you know, a rookie. He's probably going to ask me a lot of questions, right? And he knew this. Kobe Bryant knew this, but he had a plan. He knew he wanted to build one of the greatest careers for himself ever. Right? And so every time he would see one of the greats, he would always just be attached to their hip and asking them questions. Right? And if you've ever had somebody do that, even if it's at your job, like you're training somebody and they're just like on your hip and asking you question after question, it's kind of cool at first, right? Because they're like, okay, maybe they'll be really good and you know, they'll be a quick learner and, and then you know, they'll go do their own work and leave me alone, right? Um, after a while, it can be kind of annoying, right? And Kobe Bryant knew this. Right? And he was kind of embarrassed at first. He was like, I, I, I would be embarrassed, you know, just going up to like Hakeem Olajuwon and I would just ask him question after question after question for like an hour, you know? And he said, I, kn I knew I was embarrassed by this. I had to get over that because if I wanted to be one of the greatest, right, I need to learn from the greatest. And he said, I would rather be embarrassed asking all of these questions than to be embarrassed when my career is over and I have no rings on my fingers. Right? And I thought about that, not that I want to chase NBA championships, there's no way that would happen, right? But I thought about this and I started asking myself, in my own embarrassment, you know, what does that stop me from doing? If I wasn't embarrassed about certain things, what kind of questions would I be asking? What kind of things would I be doing? Who would I be hanging out with? Stuff like that. And in that same train of thought, I thought about how Kobe Bryant built this miraculous career through dedication, hard work, and being you know, willing to be embarrassed, right? getting over that. Um, and I started to think about you know, my, myself, and I was like, what am I trying to build in life? And sure, there, there are many answers, kind of like shallow answers, like, I want to build a good career. If I'm going to be somewhere 8 to 12 hours a day, I, I want to build a good career. right? I don't want to just you know, look back and say, I wish I did more. I, don't, you know, I want to build good relationships. Um, Maybe I want to be a good father one day. I want, to, I want to build some of these things. And not all of them are shallow. A lot of my personal things that I was building, um, when I thought about it, were, I felt like kind of shallow. And then I thought, well, what am I trying to build for God? You know, Do I have any plans right now that I'm trying to build for God? And there are some things right, that it's just natural when you're leading a Bible talk or doing something like that. You kind of have to have a plan, right? or else it's just a mess. And so I had some plan. But I did not have a plan that I felt like I could truly say, I am comfortable with saying, if I accomplish this, I can look back, and hopefully God will look back and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I didn't have that kind of plan, right? And so I started reading Nehemiah, um, not because I wanted to just, uh, you know, figure out what Nehemiah did to, you know, create this miraculous plan to rebuild the wall. I kind of go over the history in just a little bit. Um, but I had, the very first book that I had ever read, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I, I read Nehemiah um, because his name was interesting to me. And it's always stuck with me because of all the things that Nehemiah went through in order to accomplish what he did, right? And so um, I know you guys are in Nehemiah 1. Before I uh, start actually reading in there, I want to go over a little bit, like a brief history of what's happened so far as we come into Nehemiah chapter 1. Okay, so way, way long ago, <clears throat> we had what's called the United Monarchy, right? There's Saul, there's David, and then there's Solomon, and uh, 
as men tend to do. They ended up dying, right? They were also in some sin. Solomon, specifically after he sinned, um, God put uh, um, the Jews into kind of two different camps, right? They were kind of split up into like the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? And so in the north, you had Israel, and in the south, you had Judah. And after about 200 years of coexistence, Israel was taken away. They were conquered by Assyria because of their sins. And then after, I think, about 150 years later, um, Judah was eventually taken into captivity by a new world power, um, the Babylonians, right? And it was during this time that Jerusalem was eventually torn down. The temple, the walls, all of it, it's torn down around 586 B.C. And in, in the future, um, you know, there's a new, another world power, the Persians, right? And during that empire, Cyrus, he has this decree that allows people to go back to their hometowns and rebuild their temples. Obviously, one of those people would be the Jews, right? And so they go back and they rebuild the temple, okay? We haven't gotten to Nehemiah just yet. Um, but there are kind of three phases, two, call it three if you want, three phases to rebuilding this temple, right? There was a partial rebuild when Zerubbabel and Yeshua, the high priest, went to go start the rebuilding, right? They didn't complete it, but they at least started it, okay? And then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah led to the completion of the temple. Not the walls necessarily, but at least just the temple was built up again, right? And then Ezra comes and he teaches the people, the Jews, right? But the walls have not been rebuilt yet, okay? And when Nehemiah hears of this, as we'll read, he enacts this plan to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it only took him 52 days. If you've ever seen, I think that's impressive. If, you, if you've ever seen like old pictures of Jerusalem, like 52 days is like, that's crazy. I can barely lose five pounds in 52 days, right? <laughs> so <clears throat> the same principles, this is what I want to talk about today. The same principles that Nehemiah um, held to in order to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, I think are the same principles that we can use in order to build something great for God. And that's what I want to talk about today because I think having the mind to build something great for God, I think it'll allow us to look back on our life and be happy and eventually live a life where God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 1, I was on Matthew 16 from Steve. Give me one sec to click over there. Nehemiah chapter 1, in verse 1 it says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, sorry. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province in, and in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, this is Nehemiah talking, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Turn over to chapter 2 really quick. Uh, um, I'm not going to read the entire prayer that Nehemiah goes through, but um, he prays to God. He says, I understand. It's fair. It's just. We were in sin. We left you. I understand. But remember also what you told Moses, God, that if we came back to you, you would reclaim us. Right? He prays this. <clears throat> 
and he's weeping after he hears the news that Jerusalem is still not built up. The temple's been built, but the walls are torn down, and he's still mourning, right? In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors lived are buried and lie in ruins, <clears throat> and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Eventually, you know, the king uh, gives him permission to go back to Jerusalem, and he's going to bring some people with him, and they're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, right? And before we get into it, I, I, one thing that kind of sticks out to, um, to me about this is as he's talking to the king, right, the king sees that he's very troubled, right? And he, he doesn't see anything physically wrong with him, so he's, he's like, this has to be a sickness of the heart. You, you must be incredibly sad. What is going on, right? And... It's kind of quick, but Nehemiah, it says he stops and he prays really quick, right? He knows that this is incredibly important, and who does he go to before opening his mouth? He goes to God, yeah. right? Which I think is kind of miraculous, because I don't know, if, if somebody such high power was talking to me like a king, I would want to be able to answer him pretty quickly. I wouldn't, I would be kind of maybe embarrassed, like, if I took a while. He's like, why are you so sad? And then if I took a while, I might be thinking, well, maybe he thinks I'm faking it now. Like, I have to come up with an excuse as to why I'm sad or something like that. But Nehemiah goes to God first because this is incredibly important to him. So he'd have the right words to say. <clears throat> and he speaks to the king. And I think this is incredibly important because I think about whether or not I should be doing that more in my own life. When, I, when you know, I'm talking or having conversations with people, do I ever take a step back and just you know, pray really quick before my response? And I think I should. You know, I don't want to get off too far on a tangent, but I think that's something wonderful about Nehemiah. If you read the entirety of Nehemiah, you get to see just how close and how much he relied on God, even in what we might think is mundane things like this. Somebody asks you why you're sad, right? And he takes a moment to pray before he answers. But the king gives him permission to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the first point... I want to make after reading these um, few verses. I have three points today. Um, I, I had four, but uh, somebody once told me that I have the gift of gab. I don't know if it's a gift necessarily, but that I can go on for long. And uh, I figured if I had four, then maybe I'd see Steve Johnson snoozing in the front row, and I don't want that. So my first point is if you want to build something great for God, you've got to care enough to be solution-oriented. You look at Nehemiah, right? He's a cupbearer for the king, pretty important, right? A lot of things are given to him. It's, it's not like he's living a miserable life at all, right? And as soon as he hears this news that the, the temple has been rebuilt, but the walls lie in ruins, Jerusalem lies in ruins, he's immediately kind of struck, right? He starts mourning. He's incredibly sad. He cares so deeply for this place, and it shows. It even shows to the king, right? And his investment in this compelled him to be proactive and want to do something about it, right? 
I mean, you think about it, many people had probably seen that the walls were not built up from Jerusalem, right? I mean, people were there rebuilding the temple. So of course they had seen the walls, but nobody had done anything about it up to this point. Right? So people had seen it, and I think that can be pretty commonplace, right? When a lot of people see some issues, it's easy to care, you know, and, and maybe you'll fall into either complaining or it does hurt, but when you care deeply enough, as we see with Nehemiah, you become solution-oriented. Yes. You want to do something about it. And that's what started this process of building something great for God, or in this case, rebuilding something great for God. <clears throat> when you look at your own life, when you look at you know, this community of disciples, your own relationship with God, things happening in your own life, you know, ask yourself this, is there anything that you see that needs work? Is there anything that needs to be rebuilt or built you know, from fresh ground? Right? Is there anything that you're unhappy with? Same with Nehemiah, he was unhappy with the, the fact that the walls were still not rebuilt. And then ask yourself, are you, are you emotionally impacted by that? Whether for good reason or bad reason, you can be really excited as, you know, I am with this new building, I, I'm very excited, right? Or sometimes you see something and it brings some sense of turmoil in you, right? Or it makes you sad. And then ask yourself, well, do you care deeply enough to actually do something about it? Right? I, think, I think it's easy many times, especially in the society that we live in with social media, it's easy to like, point out things that are bad you know, and express emotions behind those. And that, I'm not saying that's bad, but it's e so easy now to do that. But it's much harder to be solution-oriented and actually go and do something to fix it, that which you're sad about. But if you want to build great things for God, and I'm not talking about you know, buildings or anything like that, even in your own personal relationship with God, if you want to build great things, you've got to be solution-oriented. You've got to care enough to be solution-oriented. I was thinking about this in terms of my own life, and um, many of you probably heard this if I've spoken to you one-on-one. You know, -on -one. For a while now, I've been kind of unhappy with my relationships. And I would probably say this in, you know, if somebody came and asked me, like, hey, how's it going? You know, and if they knew that about me, like, how are your relationships going? And I'd kind of say the same thing, like, ah, I'm kind of unhappy with them right now. You know, I feel like I don't have a lot of close relationships anymore. Life is different. It's not the way it used to be. You know, I'm, and I'm unhappy, right? And this went on for months and months. But I didn't, I didn't ever do anything about it aside from point it out. And after I started reading this, I started to kind of, you know, getting this, this fire under me. It was like, why, why would I want to talk about this all the time? You know? Would I want to talk about this you know, even a year from now? Is this where I want to be? Unhappy with my relationships? I can talk about this all day long. You know? Five years from now, is this where I want to be? Ten years from now, is this where I want to be? Why not just start today, start building something new? If I want great relationships, why don't I just start building or rebuilding right now so I'm not here? even a month from now, things can change, yeah. right? Which, you know, I think about that, and it's very hard for me because oftentimes when I feel, you know, like somebody wronged me or they don't care about me anymore, I'm the kind of person that's like, that's fine, you do you, I'm gonna do me. I got two feet, I got two hands, I got a head, I got God, I'm fine. You know, I'll keep trucking along, right? I got a job, I still get a paycheck, roof over my head, I'll be fine, you know? That's my, that's my inherent self, that's my natural self. 
And if any, and if any of you can relate to that, you know, in some sense, I think it, it builds some good qualities. You become, you know, self-sufficient, responsible, stuff like that. But you also know that it's just not true that you can do you and you're just fine, <laughs> right? There's no solo Christianity, right? And so it helped me just to think, I need people in my life and I'm, I don't want to keep complaining about this. Yeah. I want, I, I care deeply enough now to start being solution oriented. I'm going to put plans in place to start building something. And I think this is important for all of us because in your relationship with God, right, as a disciple, as a Christian, you were meant to build great things with God, right? You were made in his image, right? And you look at all the great things that God built and I kind of wish like we were at a park service or something so I like point at nature or something. We're kind of in this like cold, damp place, you know? Um, still, look, look. <laughs> But, you know, God has built great things. You were made in his image. You were made to, to build great things as well, right? You have to realize that. You are capable of that. But you have to care deeply enough to start being solution-oriented and put plans in place. You know, if you are in that place right now where you are unhappy with something, I want you to know this. You know, what you are working on and building right now is what you'll be standing on in the future. And you get to decide right now if it's going to be good foundation or bad foundation. You know, they say practice makes perfect, um, which I slightly disagree with. I don't think it takes much thought to think about it. Like, if you practice poorly, you're going to be really good at being poor, right? <laughs> You'll be really bad if you just have bad practice habits, right? But if you practice really well, you're going to build some good habits, right? So if you start practicing right now, Think about the things that you want to do for God. Think about what you can do for God, how you're going to do it. When you look back in a year, you're going to accomplish those things. You're, you're at least going to be on that road, right? Don't look back in a year, five years, and say, man, I wish I did that. I wish I wasn't so embarrassed to start on that road. I, I wish I was willing to be embarrassed then, so I'm not embarrassed now. The second point I want to make is that you've got to ignore the critics, and you've also got to stop criticizing. In Nehemiah chapter 4, turn over there with me, please. <clears throat> I'll start in verse 1. It says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring back stones to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. <laughs> Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads, Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out our sins from your sight, or their sins from, their, from your sight. For they have, they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone <clears throat> ahead and that gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, 
The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever will you turn, or wherever you turn, they will attack us. We'll stop right there. And again, the second point I want to make is, you know, if you want to build great things for God, same as these Jews in Nehemiah, you've got to ignore the critics, but you've also got to stop criticizing. And I want to start with that first point. You've got to ignore the critics, you know, because Nehemiah, it did not take very long, right? It only took him 52 days to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It did not take very long for him to start facing some opposition, right? And at first it was just like ridicule, right? It was just kind of stuff like, you know, I can imagine the, Jew, the Jews, they were like, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? It was just these like little petty remarks, like, come on, even a fox will jump on that wall and it'll all come crashing down. That's hardly a wall, right? But then it escalated very quickly, right? And they said, eventually, if we kept on reading, you know, they thought that the Jews and Nehemiah would, you know, eventually become their king and that he would lead a revolt around the surrounding cities, the surrounding people, right? And so, like, well, we have to stop this. We're going to go kill them, right? It's no longer words, but it's an active threat, yeah. right? And so what Nehemiah did... Rather than cowering in fear after hearing this and pulling back the Jews and saying, it's fine, we tried, I don't want to risk anything, let's just go back home, right? Instead of doing that, what he ended up doing is he kind of split the workforce in half. If you weren't building, you were standing guard. If you weren't standing guard, you were building. And so he was able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in this way. And you think about it, it's not like he had a huge army with him. Right? Like, can you imagine having to build all day and then be on guard at night in case there's an attack? Like, good luck. You're already tired. Yeah. Right? But this is what it took for him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He could have stopped here if he was going to listen to the critics. Yeah. And in verse 10, you even see that the Jews are second-guessing themselves. Right? And I think many times that can be the biggest critic of them all, is ourselves, right? Which I want to get to in a, in a moment. But on the notion of criticism, I think it's, it's kind of a funny idea that sometimes I think we have this initial reaction towards criticism. And you see it a lot in sports. Like, does anybody know Terrell Owens, the former football player? Great wide receiver, kind of a wacky dude, but he was great, right? There's this, there's this video of him when he was playing for the Cowboys. He was, like I said, he's an awesome wide receiver, one of the greatest to ever play. But he like thrived on criticism. He, as he would say himself, he loved to be hated. He loved the haters, right? He would turn to the fans and he'd be like, I love it when you hate me. He would like yell that to people and then he'd go score a touchdown on the next drive. Dude was crazy. But we are not all Terrell Owens and for good reason if you know him, okay? But I think sometimes we can have this initial reaction to criticism, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn all the doubters you know, on their head. They're gonna doubt me, and I'm gonna do great things, right? And they'll see. And that's, I think, a good reaction, right? You can't immediately be beaten down by the first critics, the first wave, because there's definitely going to be more. But eventually, that wears out. Right? I think we've all experienced that. Not all of us can be like Terrell Owens and just thrive off that forever. 
eventually it starts to kind of change your mind as well. Like, are, am I being irrational? Are they the rational ones? Can I really not do this? Is there a reason that nobody else has done it? Maybe it's impossible. But Nehemiah and the Jews ignored the critics, right? And they continued with their initial plan, being solution-oriented, wanting to do something great for God. And then the bigger critics came in, which was themselves, right? As a community, they started doubting themselves. And they lost sight of the fact that these were the Jews. These were God's people. Somebody had just built the temple. People proved that you could do it. You can rebuild, right? And they, so quickly, they lost sight of that. Right? They're like, can we really do this? Can we really rebuild the wall? Look at everybody, right? They say they're going to kill us everywhere we turn. People are there. They're going to kill us if we go. Right? But Nehemiah was able to keep them on that path and keep them focused on rebuilding the wall. <clears throat> when we start to second-guess ourselves and become a critic of, of our own, it's easy to just stop all the work. And in tandem with hearing outside criticism, right, if you don't stop the work, it's very easy to at least veer off the path that you initially set off for, right? They could have said, right, it said they built the walls halfway. They could have said, hey, this is kind of good enough, right? I mean, the walls are pretty tall, so halfway is not like, you know, hip height. They were pretty tall already. They could have said, this is probably good enough, right? But that's not what they set out for. They set out to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in its entirety. They didn't stop halfway. And I think it's easy for ourselves to do that sometimes. Whether it be because of distractions, right? Like you start working on something and then maybe, you know, the criticism is, maybe that's not most important right now. Maybe I should go work on something else, right? I can put that on the back burner, right? So you leave a, a project half finished, right? Maybe it's your relationships with God. In my case, it is, right? I can easily become a critic and say, maybe it's just time to move on. I'm going to do me, I'm going to find some new friends, right? But if we want to listen to criticism, if we want to fall down to criticism, right, we can just find that in the world. That's not God's kingdom, right? You're going to learn real quick if you go post something on social media how many critics are out there, right? You, you put your own opinion on social media, you'll figure out really quick how many people disagree with you. Right? If you want criticism, you can go out there. Right? But you think about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not built on criticism. And I'm not talking about necessarily criticizing those outside or criticizing yourself. I'm talking about criticizing each other as well. Which I can be, you know, easily guilty of. I'm for sure not the best example of this. Right? I find it so easy to just complain sometimes. I see something wrong and you know, I want to be solution-oriented, but then when something just gets me going emotionally, I'll just start complaining. Like, this person said that, they're doing this, are they even a disciple, stuff like that, you know? Or, man, I can't stand my job right now, this is very frustrating, and it just becomes this cycle of complaining, which doesn't help anybody, right? Like, if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody and all they do is complain, or if you know that that person, they're coming up to you and you're like, all right, here we go. What are they complaining about today? You know, like you lose patience really quick, right? You're like, man, are we going to do anything? Or are we just going to like complain about everything? You know? And I can be guilty of that for sure. Right? I think we all can. It can be very easy to do that. But I think if you want to build great things, especially in the kingdom of God, we've got to ignore the critics and stop criticizing. 
stop criticizing ourselves and stop criticizing others as well. If we want to find that, we can just go out in the world, yep. right? But here in the kingdom of God, we're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to help each other, Amen. right? Just as the Jews helped Nehemiah. Many of the Jews, in the first rebuild of the temple, 50,000 Jews came. And then when Ezra came, I think like 1,500 more Jews came. There was a good amount of people there. They could have easily told Nehemiah, no, man, we're done. Our lives are at risk, man. This isn't going to work. But they supported Nehemiah. They believed in him and his ability to rebuild something great for God, and they got behind him. And in doing so, they built something great for God. I believe that we can do the same thing in our lives, right? This is just the east side service. You think about that, and look at how many people are in this room. You would be far-fetched to rationally think that, man, we cannot do anything. We can't accomplish anything, right? What are we going to build, all those people in this room, with God? right? We can't build anything. That's not rational. That's not faith, right? We are meant to build great things, but we stop ourselves with criticism. We're not supposed to in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> the last thing that I want to talk about is that you've got to have biblical stamina if you want to build great things for God. Turn with me over to Nehemiah chapter 8. And in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, <clears throat> I'll read verses 1 through 6. It says, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before <clears throat> the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, <clears throat> Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbedanah, Zechariah, and Meshalom, and probably some other ayahs all over the place. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. What we just read is tons and tons of people gathering together in a desert, it's probably hot, near the water gate, and they stand there for hours and they listen to the word from Ezra, right? And this is after spending 52 days building a wall, standing guard day and night, right? Not only physically drained, but mentally drained as well. And afterwards, this is right before the Feast of Tabernacles, that's what's about to happen afterwards. After they build the wall, they say, yeah, yeah, let's stand. Let's stand from daybreak till noon. We just want to hear the word of God. Can you go grab that book, Ezra? Can you go get the law? And can you come read to us? That's what we want to hear. They didn't want to go, I'm sure they took a break. They didn't want to just go like take two months off and recuperate. 
right? They said, no, we want to stand and we want to listen to the law of the Lord. The very God that helped us just rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, that's who we want to listen to. We're not done with him just yet, right? <clears throat> Last week, uh, I was in San Jose for a conference for work, and um, it's, it's kind of an international uh, conference, right? So we have people from, you know, well, not China this time, but Japan came over, um, you know, there are people from the Middle East that came over, and uh, I grabbed my badge right before I was going for um, a class and some talk, and uh, I grabbed my badge because I didn't know, you know, when it would start, if I'd have time, if I'd get lost, blah, blah, blah. So I showed up there early and, you know, I started reading my Bible after I got my badge and ready for the class. And uh, one of the, the Japanese guys came. And um, I work with a lot of Japanese guys. It's, it's uh, kind of um, illuminating to me, like the way they speak, you know, they don't have nearly as much sarcasm as we do. And so sometimes I'll hear something and I think it's supposed to be sarcasm, you know? Like, for instance, one time I was, like, working on something, and I was like, hey, can you help me? And um, he's, like, trying to talk to me. He's like, yeah, uh, give me a sec. I just need to figure out what's wrong with you. And I was like, oh, I've been trying to do that for years as well. See if you can figure it out, you know? But what he really meant is, like, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you dealing with, you know? And so I, I'm kind of used to this, you know, this kind of upfront. They don't mean it like that. It's just how they say it, right? Um, so this Japanese guy, Japanese guy comes up to me and he's like, oh, is that the Bible? Are you a Christian? I said, yeah, yeah, I consider myself a Christian. And so we, we just started talking and, um, you know, small talk, like what he's doing at the conference, what he's excited to learn about, what company he works for, blah, blah, blah. Um, and eventually, it was actually, he, he, you know, rerouted the conversation back to our faith. He said, I'm a Christian as well. And I, I have a question for you. And he started asking me questions about American Christianity. And I had to be upfront with him. I don't know a whole lot about American Christianity. I didn't grow up going to church. This is the first church I've ever really been to, right? So the last eight years, I've only known Portland Church of Christ. I don't know American Christianity. But um, I've certainly heard some things, right? And it was, he said one thing to me that has been sticking with me ever since. He started talking about American Christianity, all the words that we have for it. You know, he started talking about, you know, how we meet on Sundays and it's only for a few hours normally. The Catholics meet for hours, right, is what he would say. And he said, in Japan, it's not so easy just to go somewhere and just meet for a few hours and then we'll do it in a couple days and we'll come back on Friday, blah, 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 right? That's the point he was making. He said, when we get together, we're together for hours, hours and hours because we love each other and it's not so easy to just come and go in our community, wow. right? And so he says, but in American culture, because he, he comes to America a lot, he said, I noticed it's, he said, it's kind of shallow. And he said, it's, it's like a wide river. It can be daunting. There's so much to American Christianity at face value, but it's like a wide river that's two inches deep. It's not hard to cross. It's not deep. And I started thinking about that, and, you know, I can't tell if that's actually true or not, because, you know, I haven't been to all the churches in America. I can't, you know, say that that's truly fact, but it would not surprise me if that were true. Because I can find that in my own life as well, where I'm dealing with so many facets of Christianity. I'm trying to repent of sin. I'm trying to reach out and make disciples. I'm trying to, you know, serve the community. I'm trying to, you know, forgive people and confess sin, stuff like this. And I'm like this huge river, but I've got no depth, right? And I think about these Jews, right after they built a wall, they said, we want to hear 
the law. We want to hear God's word from daybreak till noon. Ezra, can you go get that book? Because that's what I want to hear right now. And the thing about them, they had biblical stamina. If you didn't know that just from the fact that they rebuilt that wall, you knew it now. That before the Feast of Tabernacles, it was about to get busy. They're staying busy in the law of the Lord right now. If you want to build great things for God, you've got to have biblical stamina. Because times will come where it is difficult. Right? And you just want to give up. We've all experienced it. Right? Or something distracts us. Right? Netflix. When I read this, I was thinking about, you know, what, what's... What do I have more conditioning in? Is my stamina biblically greater than my Netflix binge-watching ability? Right? I can watch like Netflix for hours on end. When's the last time I spent hours on end in my Bible? You know? And I'm not saying that that's what makes you a Christian. I don't think we all have to do this. But the point of it is, where is your biblical stamina? Have you been working on your biblical stamina? Because it's something that we need to condition ourselves for. If we want to build great things for God, you are going to have to be in biblical shape. You're going to have to be able to deal with the hard times when you're winded, if you will, spiritually. You're going to have to keep on trudging if you want to build great things. Right? You know, tying it back to uh, Kobe Bryant, one of the most inspiring stories I heard about him was actually from one of his trainers. And... Um, I think it was after they had just gotten back from like a road trip, so they had just landed from the plane, or they were going to a road trip, I, I can't remember, so they got off a plane essentially, it was late at night, <clears throat> and Kobe Bryant calls up his trainer and he says, hey, uh, can you meet me in the gym at 3 a.m., which was not unusual for Kobe, the trainer was used to that, right, but he was a relatively new trainer, he'd, he'd heard about Kobe, the things he did, right, he was like, 3 a.m., sounds like Kobe, he'll be in the gym, I'm his trainer, I'll go help out. Right? So he gets about an hour and a half of sleep because I just got off the plane. He goes to the gym, at, and he's, he's there at 3 a.m. on the dot, and Kobe Bryant is sweating, sweating his butt off. He's already got up tons of shots. He's already got his own personal workout in, right? And then he does his workout with his trainer. So he's done. The trainer goes back to his room. He sleeps for a few hours until it's team practice in the morning. And then he goes back to the gym, you know, at the same, relatively same time as the rest of the team, right? And Kobe Bryant is still there, sweating, doing a conditioning workout, getting his daily amount of shots in. He had this daily amount of shots, these makes that he had to have. And he's still there. And he said, that was just Kobe Bryant, you know? He wanted to make sure that he would not lose a game because of his conditioning, because of his stamina. He did not want to get beat because he was out of shape. And I think in a similar vein, when we think about what do we want to build for God, great things, hopefully, but it's probably going to take a while. And you've got to have great stamina. Don't lose out on building great things for God because you are not conditioned biblically. Today, like I said, I wanted to talk about building great things. I'm excited um, to hear, I think, the last portion of Jubilee from Steve. You know, this idea of Jubilee, I, I love it. Especially moving into a new building, I'm excited. Again, I want to ride the wave, see what we can build. You know, we've got tons of people just in this room, and that's without the entirety of the West Side. You know, we've got tons of people that are on fire for God, and I want to see what we can do. But in order to build great things, again, I think we need to care deeply enough to be solution-oriented. 
We've got to ignore the critics, whether they be ourselves or outside sources, and we've got to stop criticizing one another as well. We've got to start building each other, each other up and see what we can do. And lastly, we have to make sure that we're biblically conditioned, that we check our biblical stamina and see where we're at with God, see how far we can go. Because I really do believe with this group of people, we can do amazing things. But if we, and if we follow the principles of Nehemiah, we will see those amazing things unfold. That's all I have for us today. Thank you. As your guest speaker, thank you. It's good seeing you. You're listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org.